Hey, I'm glad you're here today. My name's Jamie. I'm the lead pastor here at Ebenezer, and I'm honored to be able to stand today and share with you from my heart uh, what I believe is going to be so transformational in the life of our church. We're starting a new series today called We Are Ebenezer, and I can't tell you, this has been burning for months, and we have, as our directional team has met and talked about this, we get to put in front of you what I believe to be an expression of the true core values of Ebenezer and our new mission statement. And so I'm going to unpack that. I got I to gotta apologize to Caleb because Caleb uh, was giving you permission to get on your phone while I was preaching, but what he didn't know was I was on my phone while he was talking. And so I went on on there. If you do, if you go to yes2vbs, Y-E-S, the number 2, vbs.com, when you're there, you hit register, and it will take you, it'll prompt you to download the Church Center app. And so for weeks, we've been talking to you about doing that. If you haven't done that, that will give you a portal to be able to register for events. You can give through that portal. But I went ahead and did it. I thought I could beat everybody. But uh, it looks like 20-something people beat me to the punch. And so I want to encourage you right now, just take a few moments. I don't mind why, why I preach, because I know you're smart enough that you can listen and do that at the same time. If not, wait till after church. But I'm telling you, it's okay. I want you to, I want you to sign up. I, I can't wait. For 20-something years, I have been that VBS director or the pastor over VBS. I was usually the guy that dressed as the clown and came in. So I'm just telling you, you don't know what you're going to see when you show up for that week. But VBS is probably the biggest event any church does on an annual basis, and I need you to consider how can I get involved. I put some numbers in front of you last, last week, and I want us to really challenge, be challenged to go out and invite people and to sign up to help. I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a great week. Now, I understand we do it in the daytime, and some of you work, but you can at least say, I'm going to pray for that week, or I'm going to invite people to come for that week. While I'm on that note, though, I, I do want to uh, point a couple of things out to you. In the, in the uh, pews or the front, uh, chair backs in front of you, you'll notice we've begun to restock those with our Connect cards. Now, why would I do that? Well, if you're a guest of ours today, and, uh, and if you are, I'm so glad you're here. If you're joining us online, so glad that you're here. But we want to connect with you, and this is how we do that. Those cards are sitting in front of you. And if you'll take one of those cards, if you're a guest, I don't care if it's your first visit, second visit, tenth visit, we want to give you a gift. And so I want you to take that card and fill it out and stop and meet one of our team at our welcome center right outside these doors. Give this to them and they want to give you a gift of our appreciation. But I also want to put it on you, on our people, our home. Because if you're sitting beside somebody and you don't know them from Adam's house cat, Nothing helps us better as a team because this isn't about our staff. This is about us. We are Ebenezer, right? If you see somebody you don't know, first of all, introduce yourself to them. Say, hey, my name is Jamie. Have we ever met before? And if they say no, and I say, well, hey, how long have you been coming? Don't say, is this your first time? How long have you been coming? Because if they've been coming 20 times and you say, how long have you been coming, then at least that gives them a chance. Oh, we've been coming for a few months. Hey, have you filled out a Connect card yet? That would help us, and it puts it on you. And who knows, you may meet your next best friend. I'm serious. You never know what that will do. 
by doing that. So I'm putting that on you. Those will be in the backs of the pews in front of you each week. If you see somebody you don't know, just introduce yourself. Ask them those questions. I also want to give you some advice. We have put a bunch of trips in front of you. Our Mexico mission trip in October, our trip to Israel next February. Those require a passport. Laura and I applied for our passports in February, and we have not seen them yet. It is taking way more than the 11 to 13 weeks that they say it's taking. And so I want to put it in front of you. If you're going to Mexico, number one, sign up as quick as you can. Um, we're, we're planning to those. We're already up to 20 people, which I'm excited about. That means we get to build two houses in Ensenada. But if you're going to go, get, get signed up. Get signed up quickly. But also get to the post office or the courthouse and get your passport application. I would give it a good three or four months. And so like Laura and I, we have homework because our kids don't have passports. We've got to get them there as soon as possible. And we have these services now where you don't, don't have to take your own pa- passport photo. They'll do it for you. Um, I, I'm not sure about Stevens County Courthouse, but I know surrounding courthouses do offer that. So, so do that. If you're going to go on any of these trips, get that passport as soon as possible. Now, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 4. Recently, I sat down with a pastor friend of mine who was talking about how he began to study and engage his church after he took the pastorate. And he said that they decided to do a survey and they asked their people this question, if you cut our church, what does it bleed? For example, when you cut Chick-fil-A, other than chicken, what does it bleed? Customer service. If you cut Amazon, what does it bleed? The one-click checkout. I did it yesterday. I went on there, I found what I needed, I clicked one, check out, it was done. I, I bought what I needed in, in literally five seconds. Or Coca-Cola. What's Coca-Cola's catchphrase been for many, many years? Refreshment. Refreshments. That's, that, that's what they want to capitalize on is refreshment. Or Nike, athletics. Or Oreos. What is, Ore- what is Oreos known for? The dip. Right? How many of you dip Oreos? Well, I thought it'd be more than that. Okay, scratch Oreos off that list. What's Red Bull known for? Energy. High energy. That's what it's known for. Starbucks. The coffee shop. Tesla. Innovation. How many of you, oh, how many of you saw the super heavy launch on Friday? It blew up. <laughs> it got into the atmosphere. But, but here's the thing. They sent one of the heaviest things ever into, into space and it was supposed to do this flip, but it kept flipping. And then it started falling and exploded. And the funny thing was, is everyone in there watching started cheering. Like, you just lost millions of dollars in the air. But is that not what Tesla's known for is innovation? But if you cut Ebenezer, if I did the same survey for Ebenezer, what is it that we're known for? What's the one thing that more than anything else that we talk about, celebrate, drives us, motivates us? I heard it. Where it what is it? Hope. And you know, as a, as a new pastor, hearing the people already on the same page shows you how those who have come before those leading now did a good job helping you know what the vision of our church is. We are here because we are a place of hope and we are a people of hope. 
And you know what? That's what ought to drive everything that we do. I bet you're wondering what I think our vision for this church is. A lot of pastors would stand up before a congregation and tell you, well, it's to expand our property and build buildings, right? I bet you would think that it's for us to say, we're going to become nationally known and we're going to achieve a platform of influence. Or we're going to reach certain number figures and factors and, and, and goals. No, I'm going to tell you what I think our vision is because, number one, we're not a pastor-centric church. If you don't know anything else about me, I want you to hear me say this. I don't want anything funneling around me. I want it to go out. As John said, I want to decrease so that you can increase. But you know what this vision is? Do you know what I think our vision is? If you want to find it out, the best way to do it is when you leave here today, go home and look in the mirror. It's you. The vision of Ebenezer Baptist Church is you. For you to know Christ, for you to reach your God-given potential, for you to grow in faith, for you to make a difference, so that instead of a vision saying to our community, come here and see what we can build, it's to go out there and see what we can do. That's what I want our vision to be. And so back a few months ago, as I had time to get to know everybody, I went to the website and I read our mission statement. All three paragraphs or four paragraphs. It was, it was pretty lengthy. No, no, no criticism. I don't, I don't mean that in any bad way. But I get, bet if I ask you today for anyone in this room to tell me what that mission statement says. Anybody? If you're online, raise your hand. You know why? Because we need something that we can hold, that we can know, that we can memorize. And, and this mission statement will be a reflection of our core values. The things we already believe in that drive us, that move us, that, that is already a part of who we are. We are a place of hope. We are a people of hope. We are Ebenezer, and I believe that what we're going to cover the next four weeks is simply the expression of who we already are, and it's nine words. Back a few months ago when I challenged you to memorize Scripture, some of you thought, I can't do that. We were going through First, uh, first John, and you were like, I can't, I can't memorize verses. I bet you can memorize nine words. Let me, let me prove it to you. Give me a break, give me a great, break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. I bet you know jingles out, out, and that's longer than nine words. These nine words are built on the acronym H-O-P-E. If you have a study guide, I, I want to go ahead and, and point you to there because basically we're going to start with this, with this premise that we are a place of hope. We are a people of hope. We are Ebenezer. And the first H, the first, uh, first directive that I want to talk about is this. Help others know. And that equals connection. Help others know. Now, I bet you're dying to hear what OPE is, right? Again, my goal 
is at the end of this series on Mother's Day that anybody in this room goes to an elevator, pushes the button, ding, the doors close, and there's some stranger standing there, and they say, hey, where are you? My, my name's Jamie, and I go to Ebenezer. You know what, what, what we believe at Ebenezer? We believe we're a people of hope, a place of hope. Who does that by helping others know, owning faith, pursuing God, and extending hope? It makes a big circle, if you think about it. I engage someone's head when I help them to know. I engage my heart when I own my faith. I extend my hands when I pursue God with passion. And I go out as I seek to extend grace. And think about our logo. It's just this one big circle. And so is this statement. It, it comes around about as we're engaging the head, the heart, the hands, and joining hands together to go out and make a difference. And so in John chapter 4, I want us to stand and read, starting in verse number 7, as I begin to unpack this idea of helping others know. And so would you stand and let's take a moment to read this passage together. It says in verse 7, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings, not some, no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, which that's the only place that word appears like that, gift of God. If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's been funny just to see Jesus' look on his face. Well, yeah, actually I am. Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him shall never thirst, but the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw again. Let's pray. Father, as we dig in for the next few moments in what it means to help others know, number one, I pray they hear the heart of a shepherd who loves his people, and wants to make a difference. That I want to I see you move us in powerful ways. But God, as we dig into this text, I pray it speaks fresh to us. And we see new things that will motivate us to be concerned about those who are around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I said, this new mission statement, it's nine words. I wanted something that would be memorable, that would be easy to communicate but that, again, would also express our core values. But in order for these things to take place, we need a strategy. And so our directive team and I sat down and we talked about, about those four directives, but beneath each directive is what's going to be called our 12 stones. Stones have always been a, a metaphor and a symbol of the ministry of Ebenezer. And so we have come up with each directive has three Stones, three times four is 
12. Thank you for my mathematicians in the room. There are 12 stones, each corresponding with a different directive. And so today we're going to cover the first of those three stones. And these stones are all verbs. They're things that we do. They're things that are measurable. And what I'm excited about is as we move forward, part of the vision of our church, especially our Wednesday night, is we're going to offer elective classes to help teach the stones, equip people to do the stones, so that then in that strategy we're accomplishing the mission that we have put before you. Again, help others know God, own faith, pursue God, and extend grace. We want that to be on our lips. You're going to hear those phrases everywhere you go, and for each one of those, we want us to have something concrete that we know That we can do. And so beginning in this text and with the first blank that's in front of you, I want you to fill in this. We connect on common ground. We connect on common ground. That's why it's so important that John begins the context the way that he does. Go back to verse number one of the chapter. He says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... His popularity had been to to go out, and as we know from John the Baptist, he was going to decrease so that Christ could increase, that he was the way maker for Christ to come. So, yes, his footprint should become more than what John the Baptist was doing. But he goes on to verse 3 to say, but he left Judea and went to Galilee. Now, from Jerusalem to Galilee, there was a straight shot through Sychar, Samaria. Jews, hating the Samaritans, would go around. They would, in fact, the Bible says they would go around about the east side of the Jordan River just so they would not even come in contact with them. And he meets this woman. In our culture, when somebody says three strikes and you're out, that means somebody's coming to the limit of what they will do to put up with somebody. Well, this woman had three strikes. She was a Samaritan. In that culture, she was a woman. And she was in sexual immorality. In fact, one one author says this, Nicodemus, talking about chapter 3, Jesus had gone to Nicodemus at night. He He was a prominent representative of the religious elite. And look at how how, uh, John goes from one extreme to the other, from three to four. Nicodemus was an eminent representative of Orthodox Judaism, the practice of, of the Jews. John records an interview with Jesus, who he with one who stood for that class, who wholeheartedly, that was wholeheartedly into Judaism, but then goes from that extreme to the Samaritan woman who was who despised it. She despised the Jews. She she despised what they represented. And from that viewpoint, this this woman had three strikes against her. And it's here in this text that Jesus is extending himself. From from the text of Nicodemus to this Samaritan woman, John is writing to show that Jesus is the Christ, the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. In front of Nicodemus, he he begins to remember, he he talked about how how the snake was lifted up, and so Jesus must also be lifted up. Now he's going to sit with someone who doesn't even know. 
and reveal himself to be that Christ. So we have some issues. We have some tension to consider. It said he came down in verse 4 to a city of Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his sons, to his son Joseph. So the first strike she had was she was Samaritan. Rewind the tape historically. David is king. Solomon is king. And unfortunately for Solomon, the last thing attributed to him in the book of Kings and Chronicles both was that he fell away. Isn't that sad? He fell away. The, the wisest man in the world fell away. But his son Rehoboam takes the throne. And under his, his rulership, he began to put more on the people than they could handle. And they were tired of it. And so 10 of the 12 tribes break away. They annex and they become what we call the northern kingdom of Israel. The tribe of Judah and Benjamin kind of stayed in and around Jerusalem. And that's, what, that's where we get the word the Jews. But the other 10 went north and basically went south. South being in their sin. And in 722 B.C., the Assyrian the Assyrians come in and they take them over. And part of their takeover is they would send some of the people away and they would bring other people groups in and they became intermixed. They were a mixed race of people. In some ways you could say they were half-breeds. It's the way that the Jews looked at them. They did not consider them equal. They did not consider them valuable. They loathed them. And so this woman existed in political tension, but but then she also existed in geographical tension. If you look in the Old Testament, it says that they were sitting at basically Jacob's well. So for you Bible studiers out there, go to the Old Testament and find Jacob's well. You won't. Shechem was a city that Jacob comes to live in after he left Laban's household and he was restored with Esau. And the Bible says in Genesis 33 that he came safely to the city of Shechem in the land of Canaan. And he bought a piece of land there and pitched his tent. This is that land. In fact, where this, where this well was, it was actually a cistern and a well. So, so, but it was really, really deep. If you go on the trip to Israel, you'll get to see this well. It was near this city. Sychar was near where the site of Shechem was. Near these mountains, and one of the mountains that's of importance is Gerizim. Gerizim was where later the Samaritans would erect their own temple. Because they believed that's where the tabernacle rested. And so it became a geographical place of worship. Unfortunately, as time passed, they did this in 400 B.C. But in 126 B.C., a man by the name of John Hyrcanus, as, as there's this kind of in-between empire times before the Romans come in the Jews went and they tore down this temple and they tore down the city of Shechem so you're only about 150 years plus or minus removed from the time that this happened to when Jesus is now sitting across from this Samaritan woman that's pretty tense but then you extend that into the religious tension because they the Samaritans rejected anything after the book of Deuteronomy they believed in the Torah, the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
But because of the schism with Rehoboam, anything after that, they rejected. The prophets, the writings, the poetry, all those things. And so you kind of have to wonder, as this, as this conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman takes place, where in, the world, where, where in the world did she even hear about the Christ? At best, Deuteronomy 18, 18, when God said, there will be one among you, one of your countrymen that I will raise up as a prophet and he will speak for me. She knew of the Christ, the Messiah. What she didn't believe is that it would have been attributed to one of David's sons. And so there was religious tension. So let me ask you, in our day and time, what's the two things you're never supposed to talk about in a conversation? Religion and politics. You go for it. If you sit down in this day and time, what we've lost is the art of debate, of being able to sit down across from somebody of opposing views and have a conversation. What we see represented in our nation, in our leadership, and even in churches, is that whoever shouts the loudest gets the award rather than being able to sit down and go you know what let's talk about the disagreement I may not be able to convince you of my viewpoint but at least we can be civil and I kind of wonder if that's how this scene begins to unpack because he said this woman comes to draw water at the noon hour the middle of the day by herself Jesus was by himself he didn't need all the disciples to go get food He could have sent a few. He only sent a few to get the donkey that he rode on. Why did he need to send all the disciples? Because he needed to have a conversation with somebody at the right place at the right time. And he chose that he wanted to connect on common ground. And the first thing he connects to here is common need. How many of you in this room have not had any fluid to drink today? Anybody? Right. You know why? Because you need fluid. You need food. You need shelter. It's a common basic need. If you do not drink, you will die. And so Jesus says, and in his humanity, I'm thirsty. It's hot. It's middle of the day. We've been walking. I want a drink. And she said to him, well, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're a Jew. You hate us. You know, we don't understand sometimes that, that tension. Maybe... If we could rewind the, 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 the American history to the late 1800s, we might understand that. Following the restoration of our country after a civil war, we might could understand some of this tension. She's sitting here and she's saying, you're asking me? He is appealing to a common need. And you and I encounter people every day that have the same needs that we have. You know, one of the needs that we all have, everyone in this room will experience death. Everyone in this room gets hungry. That's why you go to the grocery store. Everyone in this room gets thirsty. Everyone in this room gets sick. Jesus appealed to a common need. But you know what else he appealed to? A common location. What if Jesus would have just said, you know what, I'm just going to wait for her to come to me. (laughs) Would she have ever come? She had no clue who he was. And that's why I think it's important when we think about our lives and we think about this idea of connecting. This is the first stone. Connect on common ground. We need to go to where people are. 
When we have an event here at our church, we're trying to create environments where people can come and see and experience so that they can know, know two things, know who we are, but know who it is that we serve. When you share your testimony, it's great to tell them about who you are. It's great to tell them your experience, and it's great to tell them all the things around your life, but if in your story you never point it to who it is that changed your story, you've missed your testimony. I think what's important here is that when he connected to the common need, he then transitioned it to the spiritual need but not before he elevated himself. If you knew who it was that was asking you, you would have asked me. And so I think for us, as Ebenezer, that we make this commitment that if we want the community to know who Jesus is, if I want my neighbor to know who Jesus is, if I want the clerk at the store or the waitress at the restaurant to know who Jesus is, first of all, I have to consider I'm making an impression on them first. And then when I make that impression and I can try to find a connection to a common need, then I can tell them about the one who can meet that need. I'll never forget, I was in Ecuador and we were talking to this lady. We were going, uh, I say at hut to hut, because north of, of Quito, uh, the Quechua people, they're, they're not very tall. And so for myself and many other men, this is where the door jam was. Fred would struggle. Because, I mean, it's short. I mean, there's, there, there, and the doors are short. But we were sitting here talking to this lady, and, and this was the cool thing. We're, we're sharing with her, and we asked her what she thought about what happened to her after she died, and she said, nothing. Nothing happens to me. I just cease to exist. We delved a little bit deeper, and you know the problem she had in her life? Her husband was drunk. He wasn't even at home. She said, he's in the gutter in town. And she looked up, and one of the guys that was with us, she pointed at him, and she said, you drink with my husband, because he did. This guy used to drink with her husband. And she, he looked at her, and he said, and I don't know how he said it, because the translator wasn't translating, but basically this is what he said. I don't do that anymore, because Jesus changed my life. She knew his life before, and she knew something radical had to change him, connected on the common ground because she suffered because of what her husband was doing, and she accepted Jesus that day. Not because of what we said, but because she transitioned her physical need, the pain she experienced, to someone who could actually bring comfort to that. Guys, that's what we need to do. And the second point here is that we also want to share what we know. Return to the text with me again to verse number 13. Jesus answered and said, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. Fact. I drank a bottle of water before services because I was thirsty. Fact. I will probably grab another one when I leave here today. Why? Because I'm thirsty. I'm parched. And you and I are no different. When you leave here today, you're going to go eat somewhere. Why? Because you hunger. You're going to get something to drink because you thirst. But for a, very, for a moment in black and white, if somebody said to you, you know what, I'll give you some water and you'll never have to, you'll, you'll never thirst again. You'll be like, whoa, wait a minute. Is, does Sonny make that? Now you'd be like, I want some of this. But what he was speaking of was something internal. The spiritual need. Hey, can I just take a sidestep for a moment? 
You know, we talk sometimes about spiritual warfare and spiritual attack. But can I remind you that even the best that Satan throws at you on any day, there's also another spiritual world that's there fighting for you. Everything you experience is a spiritual experience. You get that? Every attack you get, everything you are going through, there's a, a world that we cannot see that it's affecting us. And the same was that day. She came to the point where she realized something wasn't right in my own life. And I think it's because Jesus took the time to share what he knew. When we witness to people, when we witness to people, when we share with people, there's one thing that can, can thwart what we hope to expect, which would be that they would accept Jesus, and it's trust. Trust has always been eroded since the beginning of time. Satan called trust into factor when he said, did, you, did God really say that? For you and me, we need to examine our lives because if we can't reinforce trust in the way that we live, people will never believe what we say. We erode trust by six, by, mainly by six ways. When people see the bad choices we make, it erodes their trust in us. When we fail to listen to other people, it erodes our tr their trust in me. When I give them lame excuses for things that happen in my life, they know. They know you're lying is what they know. They fail to trust. When we try to pull rank, well, I've been a Christian for 20 years, they don't trust us. When I become unreliable, they don't trust us. When I'm unfaithful to my commitments, and I'd say verbally, if I say I'm going to do something, what should I do? I need to do it. Why? Because there's a world watching that's associating me with the gospel. Here's what Jesus did. He appealed to her. How? He asked for her help first. He said, I need you. He ignored her lot in life. He sought the opportunity to share the truth, and he physically connected, he connected that physical need to a spiritual need. His goal wasn't just to do the good deed. His goal was to get to the conversation. And that's why that last one is so important, invite. It's one simple word, invite. You and I have the power to invite. I can share the truth. I can share my story but if I go on a mission trip and I never give somebody the opportunity to believe in Jesus, then I haven't done the work of evangelism. Look at how this story plays out. In verse number 15, she says, I want this water. He just extended her invitation. In verse number 25, she says to him, I know Messiah is coming. When the one comes, he'll declare all things to us, which he just did by saying you have more than one husband. She sa he says, I am the one speaking to you, an invitation to believe. And then in verse number 29, she leaves and goes into Sychar and says, hey, you need to come, come and see. Say, come and see. Say it again. Come and see a man who told me all things about me. Now, this is where it's cool, because when that happens, they come to see. Verse 39, others come, and it says they believe in Jesus because of her testimony. Verse number 34, uh, 41 says, then many more believed. And then in 42, I love this part. They said, it is no longer because of what you, the woman, said that we believe, for we have heard it ourselves and know that he is the one. He indeed is the savior of the world. So no matter the religious, 
the geographical or the political tension, Jesus looked over that. He didn't look at a label. Folks, stop labeling yourself. Because when you label yourself, you cut off the opportunity to engage certain people. I'm a child of God. That's about the only label I think I want. But as soon as I call myself anything, I have put up a barrier to be able to converse and interact with somebody else. Let's let the love of Jesus exude out of us. Let's let the call of God move us. So I think it's time. I think this is where I take this. It's time to analyze the implications of the claim that I believe. If I claim to know Jesus, then I need to live according to that claim. I think it's time to reflect right now where I am in Jesus. Where was I before Jesus? What happened to me when I met Jesus so I can remember who Jesus is? It's time to consider if maybe I'm living in contentment of my blessing. I'm good. I don't need anything. When I live there, then I also don't do this. I don't look out. I, I look at me. I look at making sure my needs are met and that everything's okay with me and that everything's secure. But I never consider that if I look to my left and my right, somebody beside me today may be helpless and hurting and I may be the one God uses to minister to them. It's time today to consider that. Because for us as Ebenezer, we're going to live to help others by connecting relationally. We're going to live to help others by connecting relationally. I want us to help others know this God that we love, that we serve, and that we follow. And so at the bottom of your study guide, there's some, some graphics. There's a big rectangle, and then there's three stones. And so I want to ask you, as, a, as an exercise, in that first big blank, write the words, help others know. You're going like, why do I need to rewrite that? Because the more senses you use, the more it's going to st stick. Help others know. And how do we do that? By connecting. Put the word connect, share, and invite in those three stones. Because that's the foundation upon which we will begin to see this part of our mission unfold. A few weeks ago, I challenged the church to think about three people you could pray for and invite on Easter. As you came in today, you may have noticed in your seat a card. You're going, I mean, you love cards. I do love cards. What I, I'm going to tell you what I love about this card. Our directive team decided that for each of our four directives, there would be a different color code. And for helping others know, the color is purple. Say purple. So when you see purple, I want you to think about this first directive that we help others know. And so this card, I borrowed this from First Baptist Alpharetta, is an extension of what we did at Easter. This is called My Five. Five people that I'm doing life with. Five people that are in my life that I work with that aren't in church and they don't know Jesus. I want you to list five people. This is yours to keep. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it in your Bible as a constant reminder. But wait a minute, wait a minute. There's more. I'm trying to sell you something here. Turn it over. Because this is more than just a prayer card. 
You see, if you turn it over, there's the word bless. I want you to bless these five people. Well, how am I going to do that? Well, start with prayer. Begin with prayer, but then look at this. Do life in such a way that you can hear and listen to them. Learn how to listen. It's the greatest skill you'll ever learn. But then other than that, go eat with them. Break bread with them. When you break bread with them, listen to them. And then serve them. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe they, they, something happened, their kids had the stomach bug and they couldn't cut their grass. Just show up and forest gump that yard, man. You know what that means, right? I'll cut that grass for free. Cut, cut the grass. Pick up their mail. Drop them a meal. But then that last one says what? What? It says share. I can do a lot of good stuff, but if I don't get to the place where I tell them about this Jesus who loves them and has a plan for them, died for them, I haven't done the work of evangelism. And is it easy? No, it's not easy. It's hard. But I want you to take that card. As we are getting ready to stand to sing our invitation song, Fred Crosby and I will be up here at the front. If you need prayer today, come let us pray for you. That's a way we can connect with you. But while you're sitting there, yeah, you can sign up for Bible school, but I'd like for you to take this card and stare at it and ask God to show you these five. This is more than just three-week lead-up to Easter. This is ongoing. And I want you to make me a promise. As you put these five names on this list and you begin to pray for them and bless them, please share your story. I'd love it if somebody called up and said, hey, Jamie, you won't believe this. I put uh, Danny's name on my list and I invited him to lunch next week. And while we were there, he shared with me that he doesn't go to church. That's a win. Celebrate that. Share with us what's going on. Because here's the thing. This expresses two core values in our church that I know to be true. We love to connect with one another, don't we? We are family. Isn't that why we say it? But we're also serious about evangelism. We're serious about evangelism. There are thousands of people right now at home in Stevens County that do not know Jesus Christ. And I'm not happy with that. And I don't want you to be happy with that. I want us to be mobilized to get out of these walls and connect with our neighbor. So would you stand and let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lead us. Show us the names of those in our lives that we can put on this list and give us opportunities to be a blessing to them. In Jesus' name, amen.